Hey everybody, on this episode of Solidarity Wyoming, power and accountability in Laramie. First, we'll talk about police reform, but then we have the first half of a great discussion with Jeff Victor. Jeff broke the story after months of research about Max Bossarai, a landlord in Laramie who's blatantly abused his power as a property owner, and we'll run the second half of that interview next week. Before we continue, please go to patreon.com slash solidarityhouse and become a supporter for $5 a month or more. We report, discuss, and provide resources on all kinds of issues, movements, and struggles in the building of a better world all over the world and here in Wyoming, and we can't do it without your support. So please support us at patreon.com slash solidarityhouse. Last week, the Laramie City Council moved cautiously forward with a working group dedicated to exploring an actual community police review board. For anyone familiar with the politics of policing in the city of Laramie and Albany County over the past three years, from the murder of unarmed Robbie Ramirez by Derek Colling to the Black Lives Matter demonstrations last summer, this is a significant step forward on the one hand and a frustratingly incremental one on the other. I have a detailed post about the makeup of the ad hoc working group and the political challenges it faces over at our blog, cowboysonthecommons.org. As Derek and I discuss here in a minute, the biggest challenge is that our elected officials believe they are being politically neutral and that the cops themselves are a politically neutral force or a blank slate, a force merely dedicated to public service that occasionally might stray from that mission, when in fact the police are a right-wing force, a conservative and reactionary force, and they're going to fight even the tiniest moves towards being under civic control of any kind. Here's Derek's report on the meeting and our discussion about it. Last night, the Laramie City Council had a special session in which they considered a resolution to establish a police oversight board. Uh, Derek, you were at that meeting. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Right, yeah. So last night's meeting went from 6 p.m. and it ended, I believe, around 9.45 p.m. And wow, it was a, a painful four hours for me. I'll tell you that. There was ample time for public comment. Um, It was a good opportunity for me to start familiarizing myself with the cast of characters in local Laramie politics. Yeah, I wish I had a little bit more background so I could um, know like whoever's speaking, what kind of things or like what kind of background they have, what kind of things they've said before. The public comment section, which went for several rounds, including um, a couple of amendments to the bill that they passed, cycled through some of the same voices multiple times. But it seems like the majority of the public comment I heard were very opposed to any sort of police oversight, although there was a vocal and eloquent number of people who were in favor. I mean, are they saying that oversight already exists or what are they saying? Yeah, that seemed to be one of the arguments I heard that um, oversight exists in the form of 
let's see, one of the arguments I heard was doctors who perform, you know, surgeons, they don't have um, a public oversight committee, but they have like a board of experts who are able to oversee them. And so the same should be with law enforcement where uh, we citizens, we don't know much about the the professionalism behind law enforcement and therefore can't really have a say in the way policing affects our communities or the way it exists. Let's see, there was a lot of talk, um, very brash talk about a petition that was signed and has collected, I believe, several thousand signatures throughout town. The citizen who was very vocal in bringing up this petition um, I'm trying to remember what this person said. They, oh, they said we most likely have, you know, the entire town sign this petition if it weren't, if we weren't so, uh, you know, working class, we're not up in your liberal ivory tower making uh, six figure digits. Therefore, we don't, we can't really afford very much time in circulating this petition and getting the very silent majority voice heard. So the implication is that people who are for civilian oversight are privileged people. Yeah, that was definitely the implication from that argument. So in the end, the city council voted to create an oversight committee. Right. Yeah, I believe that they voted it in six to three. If those numbers sound right for how many they council do. members there are. Yeah. Okay. Uh now, it wasn't, I mean, I think in the face of that really vocal opposition, it was pretty impressive that, it was, that, yeah. they, that they did do that vote. Um, the, you know, this was a progressive majority was elected this year on the city council. And so the idea that that majority doesn't have the numbers behind it, obviously, is that's a problematic assertion on the side of the the anti-accountability folks. Um, but uh, there were also some things that ended up in the resolution about what the committee or what the, what the oversight board might look like that were pretty disturbing to proponents of the oversight board, including the fact that there was going to be a lot of cops uh, a lot of police officers will be on this uh, accountability board. And so this, so one um, person who was at the meeting um, had this to say on Facebook uh, about, that was critical of the Democrats, the Democratic majority on the, on the city council. And this person said, Dems on the Laramie city council were all folding like fucking paper last night while discussing an advisory working group for our local PD after already watering it down from an actual oversight committee. Don't ever think someone's an ally just because of the D next to their name. If they hold any power, they probably worship cops like they did last night. There should be no police in the process and we need to give it some teeth. In the meantime, we need to pressure our local Dems and government hard towards police reform. Tell them if they can't stand up for their neighbors, they don't deserve a seat and we'll run a police abolitionist against them. And, he, and this person goes on, Councillor Brian Harrington is drawing quite a bit of my ire here. In addition, obviously to Councillor Jessica Stalder. 
dude, I think he's referring to Brian Harrington, listen to me give examples of all the times the cops have tried to let people kill us last summer, uh, then felt the need to say all of his interactions with Laramie police were great. Easy to say when you're not willing to put yourself on the line for black lives. And uh, this person is um, referring to something that I saw last summer, which is during these very massive Black Lives Matter protests here in Laramie, there were these Black Lives Matter protests were under physical threat by gun-toting, Trump, uh, uh, Trump flag, uh, MAGA flag, you know, alt-right uh, people that had guns. They were brandishing their guns. They were um, threatening to run people over. They actually did uh, damage people's property and uh, damaged, uh, you know, and, and threatened people with their vehicles. And I saw several instances of cops talking in really friendly ways, nodding and kind of laughing with those folks, uh, and then and did not arrest a single one of them for anything that they did, but did arrest frequently arrested protesters uh, for pretextual reasons and for slightly like going, um, you know, off of the sidewalk, you know, barely, you know, there was an instance where a police officer uh, supposedly inadvertently ran ran a person, hit a person with their vehicle. Um, and so the police were very much a political entity during this process. And I think it's important to remember that police are a political entity. Police are not apolitical. They're not above politics. They have a side. And that side is usually the far right, regardless of what people think um, about any particular police officer. Yeah, a very common sentiment that I heard last night was, oh, uh, working to build this committee, committee, we're just um, politicizing things that formerly weren't political. And I think it shows a very um, failure to apply systems thinking. There was also the argument that like, if your nephew gets into trouble with the law, are you going to ground your own kid? As in like, you know, the police departments elsewhere in the country are committing crimes what does that have to do with our police force? That is a, you know, it's a blue ribbon award-winning police force for the past 40 years. Um, and that's, you know, it's demonstrating the lack of systems thinking and failure to think of or to recognize the police as a widespread system. And like you said, um, as a political entity. A political entity that is, uh, that is oriented towards defending existing power structures, uh, defending property, defending the rich, disciplining minorities, disciplining people that society, that, that bourgeois society deems undesirable. The other thing that I think is really important, and we've seen this manifest with this police department, not just with the sheriff's office, which has problems of its own, uh, obviously being under two um, federal lawsuits and uh, having a, a murderer uh, on, on, their, on the squad as a, as a deputy. Uh, but with the, the city police, we've seen how reticent they are, how reluctant they are to give up their material privilege, their funding. And they are they guard that funding and, and want increases of funding and they'll use any excuse they can um, to justify increased funding and not diverting any of that funding to things like mental health services or anything. 
And because of that, the, the police in Laramie have a, a reputation, I think, of being extremely self-serving. And as I mentioned, of kind of favoring one side in a lot of these, in a lot of these conflicts. Yeah, I think an interesting dynamic that that plays into is uh, nationwide policing forces will use the word extremism as a justification for needing more funding. Now, when they talk about extremism, they're saying, oh, yeah, both the extremes of the far right and the far left. Now, we see that like virtually all violent crimes, mass shootings and things like that are committed by the blatant far right. But then since they've lumped the left and the right together, they'll look at uh, Black Lives Matter protests, um, large groups of people marching in the street, and they'll say, oh, this is extremism, just like those uh, mass shooters and those murders. And therefore, you know, this is justification for more police funding. There was a House bill introduced by Carly Provenza, who is Representative Carly Provenza, uh, who is uh, in one of the main, who comes from one of the main Larry Me districts, is uh, also one of the founders of the police accountability movement here in Laramie. That was House Bill 247, which would have prohibited the hiring of law enforcement officers with a history of serious misconduct. The, so that legislation initially failed in the Wyoming House, then it was resurrected and passed in the Wyoming House, uh, but then was not considered by the Wyoming Senate. Uh, my mind is racing to like try to think of like the justifications that they'll be giving to uh, not consider a bill like this. And I'm sure it diverts to like, oh, being a, a cop is hard. You don't know what it's like to be you know, in the thick of things. And therefore, um, the, these instances of misconduct are, um, you know, little blips on their, on their uh, long records of professionalism. What got my heart racing the most, I guess mostly out of outrage, was the chief of police in there to speak. He His main argument against a police accountability board being, oh, I'm a busy man. I have a lot of things to do. There's just simply no time for me to, uh, for our police force to be accountable to anyone else. You know, it's simply a, a waste on our resources and we could be spending that time doing better things like you know, more policing out there. The entitlement culture of the police, and this is true everywhere, but especially, I mean, I've just, I've seen it so much here, the, that entitlement culture, that idea that they won't give an inch, they will not give an inch on anything, including on accountability. And it's almost, you, you almost want to ask them, what, what can't you do? What is, what, what would you stipulate that you are not allowed to do? Is there anything that you would stipulate that you are not allowed to do? Because it sounds like any attempt to limit or check or make transparent their actions in any way, shape or form, they will fight tooth and nail. They will fight the most minimal measure with the same uh, vociferousness as they will fight the, uh, a sterner measure. And so it's, it's, they, they won't, they won't give an inch. And did you, did you get that impression from, uh, from Chief Stadler? Yeah, you know, it's all part of the slippery slope towards community sovereignty over the way laws are enforced. It was very enraging. I guess for me, I described it as like a, that weird mixture of boredom and rage. 
I had to roll my eyes so hard I almost broke my optic nerve with all the you know the both sidesism that they would use to equate the two positions whether like or, or against a board you know you know both sides have uh, equal representation there's the argument to be made for and against and we need to consider everything as if there are all equal uh, points of thought you know going to be interesting if someone gets elected to that city council who is a real advocate for justice who really wants to call people to account there are activists in this community who could run for those positions i would like to see them run for those positions yeah that sounds amazing um not seeing, you know, the letter D or R next to everyone's name in the meeting. And so, you know, not knowing what party they're affiliated with, you know, it's surprising how much, how many peoples that I assumed to just be, you know, run of the mill reactionaries are, you know, actually on the county Democrats. Next, the first half of our discussion with Jeff Victor. Jeff is an independent journalist based in Laramie. His website is laramiereporter.substack.com, and you should subscribe to it. You can find the explosive story we're discussing in this interview at the Laramie Boomerang, headlined Maximus Basarai, the Artful Dodger. It's the story of a Laramie landlord who has allegedly done everything from massively overcharging renters to double renting units, from verbally abusing and intimidating renters to dodging service when he gets sued. Here's our discussion with Jeff Victor about that article. We'll have part one of that discussion on this episode and part two next week. Who would you like to see play you? Uh, in the neo-detective noir uh, film that comes out uh, on this story. You don't actually have to answer that, but if you have an answer, that would be awesome. <laughs> it's uh, it's funny because I just watched, uh, what is it, All the King's Men for the first time um, a couple weeks after uh, this this story published, and I could not help but like think about all the parallels. And it also made me, very very nervous because obviously they're they're doing that in the late 60s early 70s i I forget which um but uh you know they're calling people up and and getting people to to say either like revealing or like damning things and then they they you know are jotting it down on their notebook and then they're like cool i've got the quote but they're not recording um and that would just make me so nervous to not have it on a recording because I do not trust any of these people to not turn around and say, Oh, you know, I actually never said that. Um, so I, I record every interview that I do for every story. No, I mean, um, people deny it even when they are recorded. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that, that gave me a little bit of anxiety watching that movie, but I guess to answer your question, Robert Redford, obviously. (laughs) That's Uh, that, uh, that makes eminent sense. Uh, uh, no, but I mean, how did it feel to be, you know, sort of staring down into the uh, abyss? Uh, you know, there must have been some exhilaration or, or, or some such, but, uh, um, you know, I, I find myself getting nervous sometimes when I am around evil for extended periods of time. 
Yeah. So this is probably the, the, the experience of writing this story was unlike anything else I've done before. Um, I, I haven't done any kind of investigation uh, of this size before, and it, it really didn't start that way. Uh, I guess I can kind of uh, tell you about how I, how I came across this story sure. uh, originally um, and how it kind of blew up from there. Uh, basically, I I knew a few people. Um, my partner was a tenant of his and had a miserable experience, as all of Boss Ray's tenants uh, tend to do. Um, and it was a lot of the stuff that, you know, I'd eventually hear from other people. Uh, you know, she'd request some basic maintenance and he would respond, uh, you know, with these veiled threats um you know not not responding to the maintenance request but then saying uh you know i i see your i see your boyfriend's been spending the night you know that counts as like another tenant and it's a violation of the lease um which is a really wild response to a request for like fixing someone's oven that hasn't worked in two months um also really creepy that someone would be keeping tabs on who's staying at a young woman's house at night uh, but, but ultimately, uh, you know, we didn't have any conception of how widespread the problem was. Uh, we just knew that, that she was having a horrible time living there, but then we started to talk to a few other people and there were some friends of friends that, um, I ran into after that and, you know, they'd start describing these horrible landlord experiences and then they'd be like, yeah, it's this, this asshole named Max. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh. I have heard of Max and, you uh, this know, it's instructive probably... because sometimes you have to, you have to be really proactive about casting that net and finding more data. But was it, it, it just seemed like when it rained, it poured in this. Yeah. Well, so at first I, I was planning, at first I was thinking I, I could probably have a story if I talked to uh, enough tenants, um, you know, if it's just one tenant who has a bad experience with a landlord, I'm probably not going to be able to pitch that to like the editor of the boomerang um, because there's too many people who are going to read that story. And no matter what the claims in it, they're going to write it off as, well, you know, it's a, it's, it's kind of like a, he said, she said story. Like this tenant says they had a bad experience. The landlord says they were, they were fine and acted justifiably who knows what happened. But I figured this guy was clearly leaving a trail of, of hurt people in his wake. And so, you know, if I talked to five, 10, a dozen former tenants um, and kind of laid out a pattern, that would be, I think that would be sufficient for, for writing a story. But I was actually, I was talking to another journalist friend of mine about this and how to approach that story. And he was the one who actually suggested, you know, you might want to go down to the courthouse and just see if there's anything on him there. Um, like, uh, I think maybe, uh, with like, you know, has he committed any crimes in mind, but I went to, sorry, I say went like, uh, <laughs> like somebody who grew up in Baltimore. I went, uh, I totally, went, to that's totally fine. <laughs> I went to the courthouse, um, and started looking up his name and I found all of these civil suits that were brought against him way way more than than anything i expected to find so I, I i paid the courthouse uh 
a lot of money. It's it's a dollar for the first page and 50 cents for every page after. And I gave them about $60 um, the first time that I went. And I took those home and kind of, uh, <laughs> I, I spread them out across my room and kind of made a chaotic mess going through all of them and, and finding things that were similar between them. I'm, I should have gotten some red yarn and, and used my wall. Um, that would have been a better way to <laughs> organize. And it would have made for some awesome memes. <laughs> yes, I could have, I could have uh, recreated the, what is it, the, the Pepe Sylvia uh, <laughs> always sunny bit. But um, I don't know. It, it, I've never had that experience before of just uncovering something in such a big way. I remember I was in this room that I'm in now, my, my, my bedroom slash office slash recording studio uh, with all of these papers all around me. And I had been scribbling stuff, writing notes on all of them. And something kept coming up in all of them. And I didn't know what it was. And it was, it was a, it was like the notice of dismissal that's, that's included in all of these. Basically all of these cases were being thrown out. Um, and it was just citing some statute that I had never heard of. So I looked up the statute and that statute is basically the rules of the court that dictate, um, you know, how a case can be dismissed. If... The, the sheriff can blow off. I'm sorry. The sheriff <laughs> can not <laughs> deliver the service. If, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the statute, um, you might be unsurprised to learn is worded uh, a bit more passively. Of course. Uh, so it's just, if the person is not served, um, you know, no, no, no subject there, just <laughs> not, not casting any blame, just if, this person doesn't get served. The legal thinking is that, um, you know, you can't have somebody just suing you for large amounts of money where you like never know. And then they go to court and, and, you know, you have no knowledge of this thing, but there's of a court. So a court. as you're writing all of this stuff, or as I'm reading all of this stuff about Max dodging service, yakety sax is playing in my mind. <laughs> Yeah, so it it felt a little more profound the the day that I, uh, I uncovered this than than Yakety Sacks. Um, I was looking at I was looking at all these documents spread out, and just I remember very clearly that feeling of it dawning on me, like, oh, this guy has never been served. There's page after page of just the sheriff's office saying we tried to serve him seven times. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't there. We couldn't serve it. Uh, so that's, that's the, that's the end of our work day. Um, and then, uh, and then the court dismissing it. Um, and it just happened again and again. And I was kind of like, I was kind of like pacing around the room, freaking out a bit and, you know, walked out into the, the living room. Um, cause my, my partner is also, uh, my office mate now since, <laughs> you know, working from home. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and I'd just come out and be like, I can't believe, am I reading this right? Like, is this, is this what this is? Um, you know, kind of in that panicked conspiratorial voice. <laughs> uh, but just, yeah, it just became clear that he, he's getting away with it 
repeatedly. And this thing keeps happening. And I started adding up the the dollar amounts of all of those, like the, the amount that people were trying to sue him for, uh, which in some cases was their unreturned deposit. In some cases, it was uh, rent that he had charged them even when somebody else was living in the place. Um, for some of it, it was furniture that had gone missing and they had <laughs> they would never see again. Um, in some cases, it was like all of these things combined. And, you know, adding up that total, I think uh, at that point, I had it up more than 12,000. And before I had finished writing the story, this whole process has happened again. And so the the final amount that I was able to definitively show uh, was $16,000. That's $16,000 that people tried to sue him for. And he was able to keep, uh, not by virtue of defending his- Purely by dodging service. Purely, yes, yes. Because there's more money that he's gotten by like, actually sure. going to court and, and sure. fighting it. And and while you're writing the story, it happened again. Yes. So it, it took a few months. Um, I wanted to be very, very careful with this. Um, the boomerang was between editors. Um, so for a little while, uh, their sports guy was running the show. And he's a very good sports guy, but he, you know, he was the only one in the newsroom already working like 12 hour days. Um, so they weren't really interested in publishing, you know, hard critical journalism, um, especially stuff that might get people threatening to sue them um, during that time. So I was also kind of waiting for like a new editor to show up. Um, and also I was just, you know, crossing my T's, dotting my I's, all of that stuff, um, because this is the kind of thing that- Of course, you, you have to be really there. careful. Yeah. Uh, and in that, you know, three ish months, um, that I was doing this, uh, <laughs> I, I was preparing to finally take it to the boomerang and just wanted to check back at the courthouse again to make sure there hadn't been developments on any of the cases, uh, that I knew about, um, because some of them were still active. So I went back to check on that and found that there was a whole new case that had been filed and dismissed during that time for another 4,000 some dollars uh, of just somebody else who had gone through this like similar situation. It is pure speculation on my part. I want to say whether uh, that the service problem um, would still exist under a new sheriff. Uh, how much of that was, uh, I, I, you know, an, or, or, or how much of that was an organizational uh, organization-wide, you know, was that a, an issue with the sheriff? Was that just an issue with uh, Max being an extremely good service dodger? All kinds of questions come to mind. Yeah, yeah. So how how I've thought about that, you know, I guess I, I guess I'll. It's a very good question, um, and I guess I'll just say to start, you know, I have I have no evidence whatsoever to show that. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, that the sheriff's department knew him and uh, was, you know, letting him off. Like, I, I don't have any evidence of, of that. Um, and and I'm, I haven't claimed that in any story that I've written. Um, there are other 
explanations for why this is happening. There's just a few uh, questions that I have. Um, when you when you look at this, so I, I I guess I'll just take you through through my thinking on it. Um, sure. Okay, so several people over the course of two or so years have tried to sue this guy. And repeatedly, not all the time, but repeatedly, uh, the sheriff's office fails to serve him. Um, and on their filings, they say that, like, you know, they they went by his place of business, you know, seven times one day, four times another t- day, and couldn't get in touch with him. He wasn't reachable at the address prov- provided. For me, I'm trying to get into the head of somebody who works at the sheriff's office. Um, and, you know, <laughs> setting aside the, the conspiratorial question of like, uh, are the cops in on it? Are they helping him? Setting that aside, like, cause I, I usually, I usually try to do that. Um, I generally think that, um, I mean, it's, it takes, I generally think that a, a, sorry, it's, a, it's a distraction, I think from, you know, uh, the questions you're trying to answer with the story too. And, and there, you can never prove, you know, anything. And so it's, I think that that's wise to, you know, to kind of avoid that asking that question. I think. I generally work from the assumption that, um, things fail or go wrong because of incompetence far, far more often than because, uh, of a, of a conspiracy, um, or like a, because of a, a conscious conspiracy. Um, so that's, that's generally where, where I'm starting from. And I, I, I wait to see the, the conspiracy parts proven. And in this case, I haven't seen any conspiracy parts proven. What I'm curious about though, is that it just seems to me, you know, trying to imagine myself as a deputy at the sheriff's office, if this happened every few months where I get this assignment where I need to go serve this guy um, and I go by his motel and uh, he's not there the couple of times that I check and I've got other like responsibilities. So I just mark it off. Like we can't find him. Who knows what's going on? We can't find him. I would think that after a few times of that happening, you might I don't know. Me personally, I'd be like, all right, this guy is never around. I need to, I need to either like figure out that he exists or if he's dodging us, like I want to get him served. Um, you know, almost like, a, like, yeah, and that, that it would become a matter to them, right. That it would matter to them at that point. And I wonder because it, it's a civil, like they're serving this civil function, um, and so I guess you could write it off and kind of say, well, if, if we can do it, we can do it, but it's not the core of what we do or whatever, or maybe it's a priorities question or something like that. But it, it you know, there, it's also their job and uh, it, you know, is this equity issue, uh, an issue of community equity and rights of people to be heard. Uh, you know, that's, uh, it would seem to me as you, as, as you're saying, I, I agree, uh, that you, you ask yourself what, why wouldn't it occur to someone, Hey, what's going on with this dude? That seems shady. And I could, I could also honestly see, you know, uh, to your point about priorities, um, 
I could see this, yeah, falling low on that priority list, especially if you're, you know, you're not a renter in this town or you've never been a renter in this town. You might not really have a good feel for just how bad it is and just how scummy some of the slumlords in this town are. So you might be thinking of this, you know, uh, uh, summons that you need to serve as like, well, you know, this is, this is like a low level civil dispute and not like, not like a very serious thing where somebody's life is being ruined uh, and, and they're trying to seek justice and, and somebody is, is evading justice. Um, so I, I could see also, you know, uh, a deputy looking through it, through that lens, but that's also, that's also speculation. I do not know much about the motivations of the, the deputies that failed to serve him. I do think with the attention that this issue has gotten with this story, and I'll certainly be checking in on this in the coming months. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think with the visibility of this story, they're probably not going to let this <laughs> slip again. Um, you know, at, <laughs> from the cynical perspective of like, yeah. it would look very bad to keep letting it slip sure. after this story. But from the, from a more charitable perspective, um, you know, this has highlighted a problem and legitimately, if there are people at the sheriff's office who, who didn't like recognize this as a problem, they might be more invested in like solving it now. And I hope that my journalism would have that effect. Many years living here makes me ask that question the following way. They wouldn't do this again. They wouldn't keep doing this, would they? <laughs> that's that's sort of how, how that question lands when I, you know, after, uh, you know, some of the other stuff that, that you see here. Uh, I want to jump ahead. What okay. what to to your knowledge is what is Max doing now? How did he and how did he react to this coverage? What what do you know or what have you heard? <laughs> I let me give you the 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 cop answer of um uh it's an ongoing investigation so I can't comment um <laughs> mm -hmm. but I so I get I guess the big picture is is that honestly I don't know that much about what he's doing um but I am keeping tabs I am in contact with many sources who are letting me know some things and forwarding me some messages and, and emails. Um, I don't exactly know. So I, so I know a little bit, I know that he is not happy about this story um, that he thinks that I just personally hate him. Um, and that, that, that is why I pursued this story. Um, I don't know what he's planning to do next. And I don't think any of us will, see that until the city council takes up rental regulations again mm -hmm. and then it will be very interesting to see if he is visible during that discussion in the community or if he and people who are sympathetic to him are savvy enough to not have him commenting at city council and that sort of thing who is sympathetic to him i i i was i was going to ask you if you were shocked everyone kind of turned away from him at least you know when when speaking on the on record uh you know nobody's defending this guy yeah so i think it was refreshing to see how totally people denounced his actions when when this story came out um and we even had some other some other landlords and real estate agents say like you know this behavior is really unacceptable, um, and there are even more who you know off the record share those sentiments. 
Um, but I'm not so foolish as to think that there are not a lot of people who sympathize with him. In terms of maybe not wanting the kind of scrutiny towards uh, landlord practices, landlord tenant practices that you. Yes. Well, so I think, I think there are, there are bad people who are his friends, because I think if you are friends with that man, you are a bad person. Uh, I find it difficult to disagree with that. (laughs) But then there are even, there's an even wider net of people who may or may not, uh, you know, agree, agree with his actions or behavior, but who nonetheless are very adamant against any sort of rental regulations. I I got a really interesting um, message after the story. I got like a hundred messages after the story, but one of them was, I believe from a landlord um, who said, this was really great journalism. Uh, there are other, uh, you know, like slumlords in this town that you should investigate and write about. Uh, and it would be great if you could just keep doing that so that we don't have to have any rental regulations <laughs> as if, uh, right. as if writing an investigative feature about every badly behaving landlord is in any way inadequate uh, <laughs> system. That's, uh, but that's amazing, you know, kind of thinking uh, I have to say, uh, and uh, it really, I mean, the, it is, it's kind of the bird flying up its own ass kind of thinking about um, uh, the fact that you wrote this proves that the system can work. Yeah, as if I didn't spend, <laughs> as if I didn't spend like four months painstakingly researching this, not knowing if I'd get a freelance check for it, fighting to get it published, uh, and uh, uh, just generally living in terror for about two weeks before it published, uh, because that was that was a scary time. Um, Indeed. <laughs>